So this morning, I'm wanting to ask the question, do hard times bring out the best in us or the worst in us? I'm sure some of you are kind of wavering and saying, actually, I think both. And I think that's probably true. As we um, pay attention to the world around us and um, talk with one another, I think we hear lots of things that are about the worst that is being brought out, and then a lot of things that are kind of the best that are brought out. So I want to talk about that this morning, and I've got three very simple questions. The questions are, what is the worst that hard times brings out? Secondly, what is the best that hard times bring out? And finally, how can the best be brought out? And all of that is well within the context of our study in First Peter. You may remember my mentioning that First Peter is written to Christians who are going through a very hard time. Um, they are Christians who probably began uh, as Jewish believers in um, Rome, and the, the great Roman fire um, was blamed on Christians, and there was a, a great wave of persecution under Nero, um, whereby the Christians fled. And they are, in this particular group of addressees, they are all the way through Asia Minor. And the Apostle Peter is writing to them specifically about hard times. And so it's a great place for us to settle our, in our studying during this pandemic. Um, and in the middle of the hard times, um, Peter goes hard after how they're responding to the hard times and whether the hard times are bringing out the best in them or the worst in them. And uh, he gives us some really helpful information, I think, about how we maintain um, the proper graces that we ought during this pandemic. So the passage of scripture that I want to talk about this morning is uh, just a, a short section of the second chapter of First Peter when he says this, um, and and it, it goes all the way against the, the backdrop of what we just saw last week. So if you remember, last week answered the question, who are you and what have you done with the old you? And so after Peter has said all of these things that characterize um, the, the true nature, the true character of people who are born again, who are followers of Christ, he says, so... Um, so following right along from that, he says, so get rid of all evil behavior. Be done with all deceit, hypocrisy, jealousy, and all unkind speech. Like newborn babes, you must crave pure spiritual milk so that you will grow into a full experience of salvation. Cry out for this nourishment now that you have had a taste of the Lord's kindness. Get rid of all bad behavior. Evil is kind of too strong a word for what the term is that Peter is using. It's just bad behavior. You know, they talk about bad actors um, or, or just people that are just kind of rotten or behavior that is just kind of rotten. And as, as we survey the, the teachings of the, um, the apostles in the New Testament, this little phrase, get rid of, actually begins to sound kind of familiar because we, we hear not only Peter 
talk about this, but Paul uses the same kind of expression. The writer to Hebrews, um, whoever what that whoever that was, uses the same kind of expression. James talks about it, and I did a little study and heard that very expression "get rid of" used several times. Let, let me just give you a quick run through what how they are used. In Ephesians 4, verses 22 and 25, Paul says, put off your old self, put off falsehood, and speak truthfully. It's, it's the very same verb, get rid of. Put off is kind of the literal translation of it, but get rid of is the way we've seen it with um, the living translation here. Second place I found it was Colossians 3, verse 8, where Paul there says, rid yourself of all such things as anger, rage, malice, slander, and filthy language. Again, rid yourself. Get rid of, um, put off, and it's beginning to sound like a familiar little phrase. In Hebrews 12, verse 1, that writer says, throw off everything that hinders you and the sin that so easily entangles you. Again, very same verb. Um, here in the image of the athlete, the translation is sort of throw it off, get rid of the things that are going to cause you to fall down or even trip up. In James, um, this half-brother of Jesus says, get rid of all moral filth and the evil, etc., that um, he goes on to expound on. Um, the last one is again back to Paul. And in 2 Corinthians chapter 12, uh, without using the little phrase get rid of or um, throw these things off or take these things off or lay them aside, um, he goes back to some of the things that he's worried about in the middle of the Corinthians having a hard situation that they are enduring. And he goes to the list of bad behaviors. So... Um, we've heard Peter say, get rid of this bad behavior. And he's, he's going to say what he means by that. And we've seen it just now through the apostles who are all using the same kind of, of a formula there. Get rid of things. Take these things off. Throw them off. Set them aside. And Paul kind of goes to a list and says, in hard times, the worst may be brought out in you. That's the point here. He says, I'm afraid that there may be quarreling, jealousy, outbursts of anger, fractious slander, gossip, arrogance, and disorder. It's actually factious slander. It's probably a proper little slip of the tongue because it becomes fractious. Um, there, there's something that scholars identify as the New Testament holiness code. Um, the New Testament is, by its very terminology, the new covenant. And so the new covenant is structured as a covenant would be. The old covenant was one version of covenant and the law, the Decalogue, was the um, kind of the holiest code that belonged with the Old Covenant. In the New Testament, we seem to see lists 
showing up here, there, and everywhere that kind of sound like the Ten Commandments. There's things like what we should do, what we should not do. And so they've been called the Holiness Code. And they very often um, are prefaced by this little phrase, this little formula that says throw off. And as we look at the the list of things that are to be thrown off, uh, and we try to bring these things home to us so that we can ask, so what's showing up here? Um, the worst of behavior or the best of behavior? Um, the, the lists that constitute the holiness code of the New Testament are almost all to do with relationships. They're almost always about how we relate to one another. Uh, and you could go through and just look at the lists through the New Testament. And I think you'll find that the majority of things that we're told to do and not to do have to do with the way that we relate to one another. And so as we are asking the question this morning, what um, is the worst of behavior that can be brought out in hard times? The worst behavior that can be trotted out during hard times undoubtedly has to do with relationships. Uh, relationships are, are kind of the, the proving ground of everything that we are and everything that we have. And um, pr- pretty much we live in the drama of our relationships with one another. And so it's, it's no surprise that the, um, the, the holiness code of the New Testament really is about how we relate to one another. And so we're going to come back to what Peter has told us in this uh, part of his exhortation. And we'll just look at his little shopping list um, about the things that um, need to be gotten rid of. Get rid of these things. They constitute bad behavior. And the worst of times may in fact bring out bad behavior in these particular respects. I found it helpful to think about these aspects of our behavior towards one another like children. Um, It kind of helps us objectify this and put it someplace over there and say, oh yeah, it's like when kids do this. And many times we kind of find ourselves in the uh, the behaviors, the activities, the thoughts, and the the blurt outs of kids, and we can recognize adult behavior in kind of its childish versions as we watch our kids. And if anything, this morning maybe helps you parents who have been sequestered with your children, and you've become everything to them, including the school teacher trying to teach math the way you never learned it. Um, if, if I can offer anything this morning that you can apply to the skirmishes that undoubtedly are taking place between your kids, um, you can apply those things there. But you can also sort of bring this home to us and say, we, we often just behave like kids. Sometimes our, our bad behavior is simply they were childish. We're immature. We behave like children with one another. And... Peter is going to pick up on a few of these things and and say, yeah, don't do that. Don't be that way with one another. I I want to remind you or introduce you to a person whose name was Eustace Clarence Scrub. 
Some of you will recognize his name right away. He's the cousin of the Pevensies. And in the Narnia series, um, Eustace um, becomes a major character in the Voyage of the Dawn Treader, particularly uh, Silver Chair in the Last Battle. And Eustace is, he's kind of the character of just the nasty child. He's just a nasty kid. He says things that are nasty. He does things that are nasty. Um, if you have the chance to watch the Narnia series on film, they have caricatured Eustace brilliantly. He's just a bad kid. He's one of those kids that nobody wants to be around. Maybe he's one of those kids that you would like your kids not to be hanging around. And for goodness sake, let's hope none of your kids is like the Eustace. Fortunately, he's redeemed later on in the stories and you get to like Eustace. He actually behaves quite admirably. But, um, and again, during this time, if, if you have not read the Narnia series, have not read it with your kids, haven't watched the series, boy, that's a good way to spend time. Um, Narnia by, by C.S. Lewis, The Chronicles of Narnia. Um, the quality of rottenness is useless. We can just be rotten with one another. Did, did you ever get that plain about it? Um, maybe between husband and wife or between two friends, the way one person behaves, you might just say, that's just rotten. Or they might have to say that about you. That, that was just a rotten thing to do. And in our most honest moments, we might say, you know what? That was rotten. I'm sorry for doing that. That was a really rotten thing to do. So what does this rottenness look like um, that Peter is afraid about. So here we have these Asia Minor believers. Um, they have been scattered, so the, the rhythms of life have been changed. The routines of life have been changed in way more significant ways than ours have even yet. Um, they are not at home. They have lost their economic well-being. They have lost their community, they've, they've lost their, their religious moorings. And in the middle of it all, Peter says, um, because of who you are, and that's where it all has begun, if you're these kinds of people, even though you're in hard times, get rid of the bad behavior. Get rid of the rottenness. And um, while that difficult circumstance is upon you, uh, take pains to t take stock and to maybe do things like, as, as Dean um, has mentioned to us, the, the uh, prayer of examine. H here are the things that Peter says constitute bad behavior. Here's what it's like to be rotten. And when um, the worst of us comes out in the worst of times, or the, the most difficult of times, here's what it comes out looking like. It looks like deceit, hypocrisy, jealousy, and all unkind speech. You'll notice the other um, lists in, in this kind of holiness code take on their own, take on their own nuances. But in, in the middle of... Um, distressing times, 
times in which everything has been shaken up and you, you're not sure what is going to come of all of this, Peter says it, it gets turned around into the way that you treat one another. And the way you treat one another in the worst of times when the best or the worst of you comes out is you may act with deceit, hypocrisy, jealousy, and all unkind speech. A quick look at what each of those mean, and I want to really focus on the last one um, as as one that we could definitely sort of get our minds around, say, okay, that is going to change. If it ever is showing up in me, that's going to change. First of all, it's the quality of deceit. Uh, it, it is the word that means guile or craftiness. Um and again, let's let's think of of children. Let's see children in the, in the playground and kind of caricature these things in the the innocence or the lack of innocence among little kids. And you know, there's somebody, and when you look at the person, you say, "He's not up to any good," or "She has mischief written all over her." It's it's the guilty look. So this, the, the word deceit is, is kind of treacherous, but it, the word simply means guile or um, craftiness. That, that, that what you see seems to be a bit of a mask over what's really there. Um, in my life, there have been two people who, more than two, I'm sure, but two that I remember, who, who are able to look past the look on my face and seem to see into my soul. Those are scary people when you come across them, where you realize that, um, you're sure anyway, that somehow or other there's guile written on your face. You look guilty. Sometimes you're not even sure that there's anything to feel guilty about, but you feel guilty. Um, the first one was Annabeth's mom. And that's a frightening thing when you're trying to date somebody and later on get engaged and then get married. Um, Animus mom would look at you and would say things and you felt like bearing your soul and confessing all the sins you did or didn't do when, when she would say children. And then it would, it would go into some sort of exhortation and she had little Bible verses all over the place like keep thyself pure in, in, the, in the powder room. And I, I felt guilty every time she looked at me. I, I kind of got over it. But I was sure there was that look of guile. And the second person was her pastor, uh, Pastor Bill Sift, um, who, who became a, gr- a great colleague of mine. But w- when I was dating Annabeth, um, I would go to her church. And as we were leaving, he would greet people and shake their hands. And when he would take my hand, he held on to it just a little longer than was comfortable. And he would turn his head and look at me and just say, Ian, how are you? And once again, I felt like I was in a confessional and I should tell him everything that I was thinking I shouldn't be thinking. And I don't know what it was, but it was that sense of guile. Peter says, Here's, here's the rottenness that begins to travel when hard times get the best of you. Bad behavior looks like guile. It looks like you're guilty of something. It looks like 
there's not a straightforwardness in you. And so maybe honestly, when people look at you and they listen to you, they see what you do, they listen to what you say, they can't trust you. There's a sense that you're guilty, that you're deceitful in some way or another. Uh, The second one is one that really matches with that. It's the term hypocrisy. And hypocrisy is is often um, paraphrased in various pieces of literature as being two-faced, that there are two kinds of you. The the New Testament um, in, in James says that that's not the way we should be. The God that we serve is single-minded. He's single-faced, we, we might say. So James says, let the outer you be the inner you, in, in this sense. Let your outer yes be an inner yes. So, there's the other version of a difficult time and rather than the worst being showing up in us, the best in us is there's not this guile. Um, there is not this, this hypocrisy because what you present is really you and what you say is really what you mean. In the middle of hard times, we, we, we don't often have the energy to um, sort of dismantle the complexity of, of other people. We, you know, when circumstances are hard enough, as they are today, you don't want to have to try to figure out that the person six feet away from you, is that person, what is that, is that person? Is that, how, is that person presenting a true image of himself or herself? Um, or do they look guilty over something? And, and in the middle of hard times, I don't have time to try to manage somebody's guilt over something. Well, maybe I should, but it'd be better at least if I knew that that was the case, that was what I was dealing with. Um, and the second thing is, when when the person says something or does something, does it... You know, is is it the truth thing or is it a, a different thing? Is the, the the person who's showing up to you a different person than this one really is? Um, that's just a lot of, of deconstruction and reconstruction when times are hard. So Peter says, when times are hard, throw off bad behavior. Like, throw off whatever it is that makes you be a person who is deceitful in appearance um, or presentation or or true presence with a person. Get, get rid of guile, get rid of hypocrisy, and get rid of jealousy. Jealousy is defined um, as ill will because of a presumed advantage that another has. So if in the middle of hard times somebody else seems to have it better than me, um, unfairly so, or even fairly so. Uh, Peter says some of the bad behavior that can show up is you just get jealous of one another. So take it again to the playground and see how this works out. Um, who who are the kids at the playground? Who Who are the ones that just look like they're up to something? Who are the ones that look like they're they're pretending, they're play acting or whatever? Who are the ones that are 
kind of jealously scrambling for the things that you have or maybe even strangely disappearing with something that was yours um, because they've been moved by jealousy to, to take that thing. In, in those you know, childish little ways, we find ourselves mirrored, in, particularly in the middle of hard times. And so um, Peter says, get rid of these things. Just get rid of them. And, and the theology beho- behind getting rid of is the theology that says, because that's not who you are anyway. If you are in Christ, you're a new creation. We saw last week. The old has gone. The new has come. So get rid of stuff that belonged to the old you, to the old creation. I said I'd like to end up with the uh, the last one of these. Um, it is this one. Get rid of all unkind speech. Um, some other versions call it slander of every kind. Uh, it's truly unkind speech. It's saying unkind things, usually in the context of telling something about somebody else. It's saying things that are unkind about one another. And again, I don't know what, what the pathology of this is. Why is it that in hard times there's something to be gained by dissing somebody else or trash-talking somebody else or speaking poorly of somebody else. I, I don't know what there is to be gained, but, but we do find ourselves doing that, don't we? Um, in a hard time, we will turn on people. It happens in sports, right? It's the rugby team down the street just just wrecked your team, and so what do you do? Well, you, you just got to pick on it's because they're dirty players, right? Whatever it is, it's just, you know, turning on one another in the middle of difficult times can be a very human sort of thing to do. But Peter says, if you are, in fact, born again, and you've been born again of this incorruptible seed of the word of God, all of the mystical meaning of all of that, Peter says, for goodness sake, get rid of bad behavior. And the epitome of this bad behavior is actually turning on one another and trash-talking one another. I came across something several years ago. Um, They call it the fundamental attribution of error. And it's a fancy label for this. That when, say for example, um, a person is walking down the street and they they come across a crack, an unmended piece of the pavement or whatever it is, and they trip on that that crack. And you see them. Okay, there's the first scenario. The second scenario is that you walk down the very same um, piece of pavement and you trip on the same crack in the pavement. When you see the person walking down there who trips you say she is really clumsy when you trip you say why don't they fix these things so i attribute to somebody else something that is um deemed a lower 
kind of standard than than mine or judges differently in a worse way than me so it's not my fault that I tripped it's because they didn't fix the crack but she's clumsy we get that way in many situations in life and and the harder situations are the more we're inclined to to kind of dodge to these kinds of things as we get involved in bad behavior characterized as as bad language that we use about one another not not curse words or swear words but just saying things about one another that demote them in people's opinion so she's clumsy that's why she tripped um how do you deal with that if if you're a person who tends to criticize if you're a person who tends uh, to think more poorly of others than you ought or or maybe you say well i think i just am discerning i see you know that i see past the facade and all of that you say, peter says it doesn't matter get rid of this bad behavior including slandering one another including trash talking one another including choosing the version of that person's behavior that shows him in a lesser light than you could how do we how do we check that um we we talk a lot about the kingdom coming and we're, we're We've been singing about that, praying about that, the kingdom coming. We we talk about the version of a situation that is a kingdom version. I, I would encourage you to think about the kingdom version of every way in which you might be inclined to criticize somebody. Rather than say he's like this or she's like this, Imagine the kingdom version of what you view or judge to be a deficiency. And speak into that. When you talk about him or talk about her, talk about the kingdom version that you see emerging. And every time you see it emerging, say, um, I really appreciate how I see her doing this. There was a time when I think she maybe wasn't so much like that, but now she's she's changing and she's becoming a, a lovely person in this respect, as though it were up to you to judge anyway. But the point is, don't drift into the worst possible description. Drift into the best possible, kingdom possible description of someone and be careful not to be guilty of um this kind of of poor use of the tongue go a little bit farther and we find ourselves <coughs> asking the second question which is what is the best that hard times bring out and the best that hard times bring out is from the first chapter of peter that we saw last week it very simply plainly understandably says so now you must show sincere love to each other as brothers and sisters love each other deeply with all your heart that's the best 
that is brought out by the worst of situations, the, the best that is brought out by the most difficult of situations, the best that is brought out in hard times. Um, think of ways, look for ways, practice ways of showing love. Love doesn't need any definition from me. Love is, um, in this context, kind of the opposite, the exact opposite of what Peter has said, get rid of this stuff. Get rid of the, the mixed you and become the single-minded, single-purposed, single-hearted you. Be the, the, the one that is not judging others. Be the one that is not um, trash-talking others. Be, be the one that is always seeing the glass as half full in people's situations or characters or behaviors. Um, Peter says, so now, you must show sincere love. Um, we, we talked about the idea that uh, Peter was encouraging us to love one another with, with outstretched hands, with hands that are saying, look, I'm coming to you. I, there's nothing hidden. My hands are open to you. Um, I'm not pretending anything. I'm not, um, as, you know, it's honestly, I'm, I want to show love and care and I want to speak well of you. I want to speak well to you. I want to build you up. I want your life to be better because I enter your life, you know, wherever these junctions are of our meeting. When hard times come, um, love one another sincerely. Love one another with outstretched hands. Love one another from the heart. Um, and and if, if you have a difficulty just grabbing onto what love is, just go ahead and, and read the story of the life of Jesus and over and over again, he, he lives love, he shows love. Um, no one leaves his presence without knowing the profound effect of his love. Even the truth speaking that he does is spoken in love and um, in gentleness um, with sincerity. Um, how can that best be brought out? So what is the worst that hard times bring up? Well, yeah, hard times can bring out bad behavior. Uh, what's the best that hard times bring out? Love. Um, I, I've been watching some of the things that have been brought out by this hard time, and they're just fun to watch. I, I've been watching the chalking on the sidewalk, and the lovely things that are being chalked on the sidewalk. There's someone not far from us who has found all kinds of wise sayings, pithy sayings. And it's, it's just lovely to walk past and to be encouraged, um, to be loved by the words that are spoken in the middle of hard times. I, I love the, all of the signs that there are along the way to, to first responders and um, to frontline workers, um, to to people who even in the the precarious times and 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 environments they they do the the, the menial jobs that need to be done it's just I, I think love is coming out and um it it's wonderful to see that the human 
heart can can surface. When we experience the love of God, um, we become people who should overflow with with deep, profound kindness to one another and to the world around us. And when when we try to just meditate on how that can be maximized, how how it can overflow in our lives. Uh, Peter goes on to tell us that. He says, um, just after he has talked about getting rid of all of these things, he says, you've had a taste of God. Now, like infants at the breast, drink deep of God's pure kindness. Then you'll grow up mature and whole in God. You've had a taste. That's reminiscent of the Psalms. Psalm 34 says, Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. First Peter um, finds its, its setting in the whole story of the Bible, which is the story of the gospel. And I'm looking forward to, to working that through when we get to questions about um, is it the end of the world as we know it? And we go back and start at the beginning and, and work towards the end and find that, that the whole story of the Bible is the story of Jesus. It's the story of the, the goodness of God. And the psalmist here says, Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. First Peter um, says, you know, dig deep into the, the, the rich tradition of the, the Jewish hope that was fulfilled in the messianic hope of Christ, who is the Lord of creation. Dig deep into all of that. Um, drink of that. Drink of the goodness of God. You've had a taste of God, um, says Peter, but, but now you need to drink deep. Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. Long for his goodness. Drink deep of God's pure kindness. He, he uses a term here that, that means um, desire, epithumia and it's a term that that might sort of be the the bookcase to the desire problems that Peter has just talked about so he says get rid of the the bad the bad desires that you have get rid of the things that they that you're driven towards and maybe seemingly compelled towards even against your will at times where you end up being you know, a mixed person and even saying nasty things. Get get rid of that. And the mirror on the other end of that is don't wish for people to be demoted or defeated. Um, wish instead for all the, the good things. Long for the good things. And using this term for desire, um, he... he posits the the image of a child at the breast and it, it is the the most beautiful and simple human depiction of of an eager desire that that baby whose whose face is turned towards his mother's breast 
a longing for the milk that uh, she or he will, will drink in and will um, be thoroughly satisfied by so that from, from, the, from the breast to the nap is just a lovely fell swoop where in complete surrender, complete um, satisfaction, the nourished child goes ahead and falls asleep. Peter has that image for us, and he says, do you want to know how to let even hard times surface the the best in you? Um, The way to do that is to long for what you've already begun to taste, which is the kindness of God, the story of God. Um, If you have have time... Time to do things that you wouldn't have normally been doing. Um, by all means, drink in the kindness of God in the story of the Bible. And here's a way I'd suggest that you might do that. When our kids were young, we collected the Where's Waldo books. And they are books full of pictures, you know, incredible you know, complex pictures, and amid amidst the the multitude of characters in in each of the the pages, there's a Waldo, and you have to find him. Here's the if you're, you're tired of jigsaw puzzles, you're tired of games, you've watched all the movies Netflix has. Re- read your Bible, and instead of asking the question "Where's Waldo?", ask the question "Where's Jesus?" read the pages of the Bible and ask yourself, where's Jesus in this story? And just like there's a Waldo on every page, there's a Jesus on every page. Not a a Sunday school Jesus, you know, where the the kid says, I don't don't know what, what you're looking for, but the right answer must be Jesus. Um, That is the right answer to the question, what's on this page? And Peter says, um, drink deeply from the kindness of God. What is the kindness of God? Is It's the behavior of God, but it's the story of God, the, the whole glorious historical story of God. Um, focus on Jesus as the point of creation, the point of Israel, the point of the temple, the point of Jerusalem, the point of the church, the point of the future, it's all about Jesus. And Peter says, this whole letter that I'm writing is about all of this stuff. We're going to see that he talks about the the temple that's being built with living stones and there's a chief cornerstone that the builders rejected. And when I re- read that, I, I love, that's a where's Waldo, that's a where's Jesus in that story, and that's just a little piece of what Peter is saying. So don't just read your Bible like a reference work where you pull it off the shelf and look up on in a concordance. That's okay, you know, from time to time. But read the Bible. Read the story of the Bible. If you have tasted the goodness of the Lord, then continue to um, drink deep from the kindness of God. Then you'll grow up mature and whole in God. There, um, 
in the, the Chronicles of Narnia is another little image I'd like to finish with today. It's the image of Edmund and Turkish delight. And I do that with some trepidation because every time I talk about Turkish delight, I get more Turkish delight than I know what to do with. So just hang on to your Turkish delight. I'm not looking for Turkish delight this time. Here's Edmund. And there's a little line that just intrigues me. The, the wicked witch has has given him Turkish delight. And then she says, if you come back, and if you bring back your sons of Adam, sisters, and or brothers and sons of Eve, sisters, um, I will give you more Turkish delight. And so Edmund proceeds to betray his siblings, to bring them to Narnia, to the wicked queen. And at one point, as he's in the middle of his treachery, the text says, by now, Edmund wanted more Turkish delight more than anything else in the world. That's, that's the way desire operates. When you have the wrong desire, and Jewish theologians from, from the very beginning talked about this. It's called Yetzer in Hebrew. and They talked about the good Yetzer and the evil Yetzer. There's good desire and there's bad desire. And in, in our fall, um, Jewish thought is that our Yetzer was differentiated. It became good and bad. And in Peter, he's saying, look, there's bad Yetzer you need to get rid of. It's the the wrong desires. It's the desire to deceive people, desire to um, pretend with people, the desire to to make people less than what they truly and graciously ought to be by saying things about them, but by the way you talk about them. Those desires, the bad desires, get rid of them. But there's good desire. It's a desire for God's kindness, God's word, God's story. And just like Edmund was driven to treachery, rather we should be driven to the story of God, to the kindness of God, um, asking the question, where's Jesus in this story? Um, because I want to know more about that. I want to know how the whole whole um, panoply of history past, present, and future, is about the kindness of God, um, all of it culminating in a great and glorious and future free from sin, sickness, death, all of this stuff that we'd like rid of, we truly would like rid of. God bless.